0: you're listening to world building for masochists and we're wondering why we do this to ourselves
1: i mean it's either this or actually dealing with the monster in my basement
2: <laughs> i'm alex roland i'm Rowena miller
3: i'm marshall ryan Moresca.
2: and i'm tasha suri
3: and this is episode 13 and now for the sacred reading
2: another extra special guest today and I'm so excited about her welcome to uh, Tasha Suri uh, who wrote some really wonderful books would you like to tell us all about you and why we have invited you particularly (laughs) on this episode of this very cool podcast
1: Um, yes I would like to tell you about me my brain has gone slightly blank but I am a very interesting person so (laughs) so um As you said, I'm Tasha Suri. Um, I write books, funnily enough. Um, I am the author of Empire of Sand and Raul Mabash, which are both um, Mughal India, so medieval to early modern northern India and Asia inspired um, fantasy novels. And you've invited me on this podcast because I have interesting religion based world building contributions to Mm -hmm. contribute.
0: Great job. Excellent. Thank you. And, and I think we should point out um, Realm of Ash is recently out in the world. So if you have not read Empire of Sand, do it. And if you did not know that Realm of Ash is out in the world now, now you know. Do that too. And do that too. <laughs> do that too. Do the thing. Yeah. Buy, Buy the books. Yes. Do the books. books. The books. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I am partway through Empire of Sand right now and I am really enjoying it. It's just that like, I have homework for my other podcast that keeps having like deadlines attached to it and so I have to keep like setting books aside and like going and reading another thing and then getting back into them um but like what I have read so far is is really wonderful uh and I am looking forward to reading the rest of it
0: oh thank you so much yes it is it is a really wonderful book I I recommend it highly and I do recommend it highly to people I chase them down in bookstores and tell them to buy it (laughs) yes I'm embarrassing
2: and really really gorgeous world building and and dance-based magic, and uh, and yeah, re- I really like it so far. Uh, before we go on with the episode, uh, do any of us have announcements or any cool things that we want to talk about? I am so <laughs> not cool right now.
3: <laughs> I- I'm in that brief period between books right now. <laughs>
2: yes. I'm making my way very troublesomely through NaNoWriMo and Whoa. I am mostly writing smutty fanfiction about my own characters. Uh, sorry! <laughs> Don't die! <laughs> I think,
1: so I'm drinking honey liqueur and it just kind of went up my nose slightly
2: from laughing (laughs) it's fine I feel very awake now very refreshed sorry about that um well let's move on from that so uh how do we define
0: religion I guess what are we talking about with this episode I feel like it's, it's the impossible question right but but to get some kind of baseline I mean I kind of feel like religion is something that is separate from, in addition to, often integrated with, um, but is is more than, than just, quote unquote, culture, that there's an element of belief or worldview um, that gets added in there, sort of.
2: Yeah, so when we're, I have a question for you guys, like sort of as we go forward with this episode, are we exclusively talking about religions that are faith-based, or are we also going to be talking about sort of systems of secular values and philosophies that define a culture.
0: And when we say faith, do we mean faith in like a divine or, like, because I think that you could, yeah. you could even have faith without having a divine, right? You could have,
2: you could. Right, right, exactly. Like, is there is there an element of belief in something that you can't see or touch? Like a, a supernatural thing, not necessarily a god, but a a greater than us kind of thing.
3: I think anything, any system of, say, rules and dogma that are based around some sort of tenets or philosophy can be construed as a religion, even if it is not necessarily like a faith in the supernatural or a higher power or something like that. The, it can be purely intellectual and still be a religion, at least in terms of the world building that we're talking about right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think we probably are going to be angling a little bit more towards Towards the, the faith based. Faith based ones. Yeah. Yeah. At least right now. We'll probably come back and have a whole second episode that's more about like philosophy. Right. and Calvinism. <laughs> Who's and the
3: Kant so of what, your world? Uh,
0: what is humanism, really? <laughs> But no, I, I think that it's fair to, to keep in mind that um, religion or faith can be in a deity or in the divine, but can also be in a set of values or in a, mm-hmm. a worldview that's more philosophical or even or I an mean, abstract. abstract or even a science-based yeah. sort of um, See, model of... That's where I kind of struggle because,
1: you know, you, you can, I mean, just to throw something in there, I mean, if you follow scientific reason and logic, is that surely that's kind of at odds in a way with religion as a concept i i, I kind Can of be, mm, yeah yeah i mean I might, i'm making big generalizations about religion there but i often think that it yeah it isn't entirely based on reason i can't think of anything that i would call a religion that is reason based which isn't like a read
0: on religion right like i'm not right, saying right, <laughs> it's a right, bad right. thing but oh God. Now now I'm envisioning a world in which like reason is the religion and it's kind of like Spock-esque. Right. Like I was about to say, like
2: science itself is kind of a religion in some way. Like we have the scientific method, which is kind of this ritual that you go through to to get your bigger than you. Capital F FACT that you're trying to to discover or learn more about or think about deeply Uh, and religion also kind of asks us to do that, too, in certain ways to go through rituals that we possibly don't really understand why we're doing them in order to get to some kind of bigger than ourselves abstract thing at the end. Uh, It's just that science is so firmly rooted in the material world around us rather than the abstract spiritual
0: world
3: but also like on a world building level if you were talking about say the vulcans on star trek use logic in the same way that a religious institution is used in a lot of other cultures Mm -hmm. they speak of it even though it is totally Mm -hmm. based on on logic and scientific principles they approach it with almost a religious fervency and when something doesn't you know apply to logic they're kind of like what is going on i don't understand it and that's i think an interesting way to look at that as well i mean there's like a
0: a, like a veneration of it in a way yes it's the venerated thing in their world i mean
1: but speaking of the vulcans i mean um and i'm not by any means like an expert on star trek but the vulcans are by their nature like super emotional beings who um and that's why they turn to logic as a kind of way to control their extreme rage and extreme emotions. Um, So in a way, yeah, I I do agree with you that that reason becomes a faith because that reason is their only light against the void. And that's the one thing that I Mm. kind of think Mm. unites all religions, even perhaps the Cophonic ones, though we could talk about that. I just got chills. I want you to know (laughs) when you said that. Excellent. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I think all... uh, there is an element of all religions trying to create order where there is only unknowable chaos. Um, And in that way I can see the Vulcan faith being similar to that. And now I've just convinced myself having just said that science is not a religion, that science is kind of a religion.
3: (laughs) Thank you. Good night, everybody.
0: <laughs> and see. Great episode, everybody. Come back two weeks from now. <laughs> I'm very easy Well now, now, now that we have a, a a grip on what religion um is and apparently it's it's anything, everything. Um yeah. how how do we how do we begin to fold it into a world that we're building? Like how do you begin to create a religion? Well, I think that if you are setting out to build a religion, a
2: really good place to start is to learn a lot about the many, many, many different religions that already exist in the world. This is both so that you can sort of break yourself out of your comfort zone and your preconceived notions about what religion is. Because like, even if you yourself are an atheist and have been raised atheist, if you have grown up in the Western English-speaking world, you are receiving a lot of kind of ambient Christianity sort of just, like, in your day-to-day life. Like, like the prevalence of Christmas being, like, the holiday. I did air quotes when I said the holiday. <laughs> uh, quote-unquote, the holiday of the, quote-unquote, holiday season um, is just one of them. Like, you drive past... I drive past like three churches on my way to work every day. Uh, It is everywhere. Um, So first step is like learn about other ways of thinking because that's what religions are, is another way of thinking. And the other reason to do that is to make sure that you're not accidentally appropriating someone else's stuff uh, because that's something that can happen without really meaning to you sort of sit down and go like oh i think that this would be a really interesting and cool way to think about the world and then you accidentally reinvent the wheel that someone else has been working with for thousands of years and that's embarrassing
1: (laughs) one thing that's kind of um that i find really interesting i mean the whole thing of ambient christianity um like i'm in the uk so there aren't churches around every corner. That was the one time I came to the US, that was one thing I found very odd. Like I'd never seen mm-hmm. I mean, I I grew up in areas where there were quite a lot of Gudwaras and temples and like the odd church here and there looking a little bit shamefaced, like I'm here, come in, please. Nobody did. <laughs> um yeah. and but at the same time there is that ambient Christianity because you know like the Queen is the, the head of the Church of England and we do um mm-hmm. and you still do Christian prayers in schools and things like that. And there's also another element of um, the impact of the Western way of thinking and colonization on even how we understand other religions, even my own. So I remember being in a class in sixth form or like the end of high school and we had this really scrappy young student teacher who came in really militant and he was like Hinduism doesn't exist. He was Indian as well, like just before you get too horrified and we were like what what, are you talking about and he's like Hinduism doesn't exist it's a colonial concept and he said if you look at India and you look at the history of the what we now call Hinduism there are lots of different beliefs and some of them have commonalities so there is like the the endemic nature of things like the caste system which is also a socio-cultural thing um different gods who crop up in different areas and but Those gods and the ways they're worshipped are different from area to area, even from village to village. But we now call all of those things Hinduism. There's no real reason for that apart from the fact that, according to him, Westerners came in and gave it a name, if that makes sense. So even if that isn't wholly true, and I'm sure there are Hindus who disagree with that conception of Hinduism, um, it still makes you think that a lot of what we read about other religions when we're in a Western Christian setting is both wrong and shaped by the kind of the not necessarily equal dialogue between Christianity and those other religious beliefs and practices.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I also want to call particularly particular attention to one thing that you said, which was gave it a name because... When you have a local indigenous endemic religion, you don't really have a name for it. You don't call it Christianity. You don't call it like this is this is the thing. It's just the religion. It's just like our beliefs. And it's not until you have interactions with an outside group that they put a name on what you're doing. You still don't have a name for what you're doing. You are still just, this is our religion, this is our our system of beliefs. It's outsiders putting a name on it so that they can label you or, or understand you or put you in, in some kind of box.
3: But also, it's a good thing to think about in terms of if you're doing your world building of a religion that what the religion is isn't just a mon- necessarily a monolith of these are the yes. these are the tenets and principles, but like a Venn diagram of all these different Methods and, and beliefs and rituals and just looking at the whole Venn diagram as one big thing is an easy way to classify it in a simple way, but isn't a, isn't accurate? Yeah. And it, it's neat to see world building that will look at that in that more detailed fashion than than just painting it yeah. with the with the wide brush.
2: I think that if there is a question that is universal across religions. It is the question of who are we? Where do we come from? How do we understand the world around us? And every religion has a different way of addressing those questions and answering those questions and and showing us ways to be. And then everything that comes after that is more sort of complications and branching, branchings out. But at the heart of it, it's asking, what does all of this mean? Why are we here, right? I guess I I have quite a lot of strong and
1: complicated feelings about organized religion, and I find it very difficult to kind of break away the the roots of a religion, the, the potential roots of a religion as something that's like meant to comfort or explain from um, the use of religion as a tool of control and suppression. So mm. I both... Like, I both think religion is wonderful and brings a lot of comfort and hope and truth and clarity to people and also think it's like a hot mess and causes (laughs) huge amounts of trouble. And, you know, all it takes is one bloke, usually a bloke coming along and going, I'm going to use this to do some really awful stuff and also maybe get myself some nice things for it all to go horribly (laughs) wrong.
0: I feel like that's yep. almost anything humans touch, right? <laughs> true. Like, like knives it's are true. great for cutting up vegetables, and then someone's like, "Hey, I could stab someone with this. This is great." It's like, no, it's not great. What, Rowena? That knife like... was
1: perfect before. <laughs> this is like the chicken and the egg. What came first, the knife, the vegetable cutting, or the stabbing?
2: <laughs> right. Who knows? Who, who knows? knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but if we, this is, this is all really amazing, wonderful philosophical discussions that we're having here, and I'm deeply into them, but we do have a podcast about world building, so do. maybe we should try to do that. So I, I, uh, you know, I
0: actually kind of feel like um, the question that you asked, Alex, um, got me thinking about some way to bring this back into world building, which is, um, is there a requirement or an expectation that religion have practice associated with it? That religion is not just a world view, but that it is somehow folded into practice or expression or something else that we bring into the physical world out of a spiritual or philosophical world.
3: At least in part with that, I I was just thinking how when we're talking about religion, especially in a world building sense, we tend to be talking about three different things combined. One, the sort of practice and application of faith. One it as a cultural element that is just part of like the background noise of the culture and also as a political entity of things that drive you know, the politics of the culture. And it's the weird interaction of these three things that you always have to think about in terms of how it's depicted and how, how the actual daily practice goes, if daily practice goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if just from a craft perspective, if you're bringing religion into your world, it, if there is no practice element of it, then either you have a main character or a character who's kind of like mulling about it all the time and thinking about it, or or it just kind of isn't there. Like I could see a lot of tellings where without any kind of practice or physical manifestation of, of religion, it, it just wouldn't show up in text at all, despite what someone thinks about it. Yeah.
2: And also, when we're writing fantasy, a lot of the times that we have the option of, oh, the gods are actually literally real. So it's not so much about faith, because faith, as I would define it, is about holding a belief in something that you will never get conclusive proof as to whether or not it exists. But writing fantasy... You know we can have the proof that it exists so like what is faith it do not answer this question we do not have time for any more philosophical <laughs> wonderful philosophical debates but the question stands rhetorical question what is faith in a fantasy setting where the gods exist and walk among us how do people interact with that in religious senses
3: because yeah faith is a very different thing if the gods are walking around impregnating people.
0: Right. <laughs> and the way to do right. It's the first thing they do, man. I, I do no, have I to say though, Terry of... Pratchett
1: does answer this question. Um like in, in a fun, fantasy, non philosophical way. I mean he has the whole thing of like if, if God just does turn up, it's a bit like believing in the postman.
2: Um it's just yep. in one of the witches books. <laughs> Yep, yep. Basically, Terry Fratchett has answered every question that anyone might ever ask. Go read
0: Discworld. Some,
3: one of his books has the answer. It's, it's there somewhere. You just have to do the research.
0: Yeah. I suppose in some ways, you know, if you do have gods walking among you, the question becomes, well, what do you do with that? Like, yeah. your system becomes, well, how do you, you know, do you have some particular way of trying to engage with them? Do you try not to engage with them? Which... You get a lot of like Roman mythology where they're just like just don't even just just avoid because you're going to end up knocked up and it's it's not good. (laughs) So, in Rowena, you
2: just have accidentally stumbled on an in my book moment, (laughs) um, which is like that question of like a religion involving avoiding the gods' attention was the first spark of the world that I made for a conspiracy of truths and a choir of lies. Um, Because that was the whole religion around uh, Shugua, the shadow god, who is a real god and walks among us and will, like, fuck shit up and drown <laughs> you in the marsh and murder your family if you attract his attention. And so the religion is based around, like, covering her head, be real quiet, let someone else take the attention. Uh, and that's where the chants came from, because the chant is the person who makes loud noises and swears a lot and dances naked and tries to draw the gods' attention onto them so that you and your family are safe.
3: And one of the things yeah. that I, I always find this fascinating when, when writers don't do this, but like if you have an active god who's around, the religion and the, pra- and the culture of that should match the god's personality to some degree yeah this was a thing that always struck me as a bit wrong with uh with the belgariad which when i reread it really jumped out at me that the primary culture of the world of that we're point of view is in is the aloran culture which still has a very presumed christianity sort of vibe to it like you know monogamous marriage and people who drink too much are doing the wrong thing and and you should not have drunken orgies when their god when they actually like show what kind of person that god was like he'd be the first one to be like hey where's the drunken orgy <laughs> so yeah you really have to wonder where did they get this aspect of their culture if their faith should be the complete opposite of that
1: but right but right. that kind of assumes that that religion makes any sense and, oh, that's true. And that's I mean, true. That's very true. I mean, true. But the awkward thing about, <laughs> about world building is that, like, people will judge you for not making it make sense, and they'll go, well, that's illogical. But then reality is super illogical. Um, and speaking of orgies, um, <laughs> 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 there, there is, in fact, a Hindu god who is, like, known for his orgies. I mean, I thought he was just dancing with girls when i was younger but that that was a metaphor um and like i i just can't imagine like any of my religious family members being like time for an orgy i really hope not so like (laughs) so you have that kind of real dichotomy in real life why have i said this why but anyway um and and i think that but to make that work in a world-building context, I think, takes a kind of level of nuance that probably takes up more pages than you want to necessarily spend on it.
2: That is a very good and practical kind of <laughs> point to make about it, yes. Sometimes you just don't have the space. You have to end the book sometime. No, that's um, definitely
3: true. Though I, that's, I'm just saying, what, that's what they a, tell us. I don't... As a choose versus presume thing, you should be choosing, but I'm giving them this morality, even though it doesn't match their gods. And even if that reason doesn't show up on that page, I think if it's if you have thought about it and made that conscious choice rather than presuming Western Christian morality because because that's what people keep presuming when they write fantasy books half the time, then right. then that's going to come through in the work.
0: One thing I find super interesting in terms of world building is it seems like usually, and I'm I'm kind of. Generalizing, but most of the time in fantasy we like pick one thing like they have the gods or they have a god or they have a sort of like nature veneration or they have ancestor worship and I find it so interesting in a lot of faiths that there's a lot of overlap and layering um, and I always kind of like come back to the like no one can be offended by my example of Romans because we don't really do that anymore um, but they had a pantheon and they had um, like ancestor veneration to some degree that they translated it, it's adorable, they translated it as the Grateful Dead, which I don't know if the band actually got the name from that, probably not, but I like to imagine that, like, <laughs> they, like, the band is like, you know, the Grateful Dead, like, the, the dead Roman people, no. Um, and also had kind of, like, house geniuses or house gods, and then that got, like, co-opted and folded into the Empire, having, like, an imperial genius that deifies the Emperor, and it's like, this is a whole lot going on all at once. Um, yeah. And people picked and kind of chose what they wanted to focus on within that. Like no one, I'm sure someone was, there's always one. Um, But few people were like into everything, but everyone had their things that they got into or didn't. And I just think it's interesting that for the most part in fantasy writing, and maybe it is the simplicity we're talking about, you only have so many pages to go into on this, but we tend to like pick one thing like, oh yes, we all worship the goddess and that is who we worship. And that is our religion. And there are two holidays that we celebrate, and this is what they are. And it can get a lot messier than that if you let it. Oh, yeah.
3: Especially if you get into the messiness of empire, where you have like yes. a central culture that then mm-hmm. imports themselves, exports themselves onto other cultures, and then drags in the things that they like from those other cultures. And so you get these weird, disparate things that then sort of merge together into, again, the sort of looking at the whole Venn diagram as opposed to a singular. Thing on the Venn diagram.
0: Yes, like 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 the the Romans literally carting home, Kibily, the the goddess. She was a rock. Um, oh, it was like it was like a, a, <laughs> was like a, a probably an asteroid. An asteroid? No. What do you call that? Meteora. Thank you so much. My brain just goes playing. Um, probably so it was probably space rock and, and there was this, this black rock that, that the people in Persia venerated. And when they took over, they're like, we're taking her home with us and kind of folded it into their belief set. That, that, that
1: I mean, that, that takes rock. pet rock to a different level. Doesn't it really,
0: it really does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, even in a, in a world where you have one religion, realistically, um, Real religions are a mess again. I mean, I keep saying this, but they are. Um, I've got a book somewhere in this room that I'm in um, about the history of Christianity. And it is absolutely massive. It is, in fact, called The History of Christianity by Dermot McCulloch. And it goes through huge amounts of history and tumult and very different iterations of what faith and what practice meant to different people. And that's just that's my cat. Um, (laughs) that, That was just one faith. And. Yeah, again, getting that all on the page, almost impossible, but it, I think there is some kind of sense that if there's a way to suggest the nuance exists somewhere, that would be nice, but I don't know how. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think also well, I, what interests me too is um, getting into like the nuance of practice, like do all people in a fantasy face practice equally or the same or are they equally invested I think that you had strong opinions about that
2: so (laughs) yes I do have really strong opinions about this because like I think that it's better now I think that we're kind of getting away from um this trope but a trope that I uh, have seen a lot and am very tired of is the world building thing where the culture itself is very devout very religious has this very um uh, what's the word? Not invasive, but um, going deep into the roots of the culture. Like it has this pervasive. religion that is pervasive, mm-hmm. pervasive, maybe. Uh, and so you have you have this wonderful, rich world building back- background for for this culture, which is often very non Christian. And then you have your main character who is living within this culture and resenting the religion and not wanting to engage with it and not finding anything of value or nuance in it, even though he or she has grown up in it, right? Um, And like, that's not really how people engage with their own cultures in in real life. It's not really common for you to completely reject every single aspect of your own culture. Um, And I would love to see just more nuanced takes in that kind of thing Um, I want to see more devout characters who love the religion and their culture and their family that they're in and don't have this kind of like baggage that comes with it or if they do have baggage which is totally fine um, it's a more complex kind of thing like I love this whole holiday but cilantro tastes really gross and during this holiday we put cilantro in every single bit of our food uh, and I hate that part of it or um, like I don't have a really good relationship with my family so uh, this holiday seems like a really cool thing that I would enjoy if only I liked my family so there's like outside influences that are shaping their opinion about the religion rather than just like oh I reject this wholesale you know what I'm saying
0: yeah no and I think it's you know there's a place in between too that I think Probably, mm-hmm. probably most people in a lot of societies—I I, would—I would venture to say—in American society—fall into that's Maybe you're kind of religious, but you're not going to church every Sunday. You know, if this is—you're not reading your Bible every day. There's more of a cultural connection to it than there is a devotion or practice. And I think that that's—you know—I wouldn't say that that's just American society. I would say that that's probably something that crops up in a lot of different societies. Um, If if you look at kind of the history of Christian development, there's this waxing and waning that keeps happening that people are like, wow, people keep like not being interested in faith anymore. So let's do this bright, shiny new thing. We're going to found a new denomination. Look, Methodism. Look, Anabaptists. Look, Mennonites. Wee! And it kind of like trying to bring people back into practice, which tells you that most of the time people were really not practicing a lot.
1: I think one yeah. place that um religion comes up even for people who are devout atheists is in swearing um yes
2: <laughs> yes. yes yes very much yes. yes
1: and I feel like that really applies when you write fantasy more than anything else because you know the minute something terrible happens which it inevitably will somebody has to
0: god damn yeah it. they
1: can't go god damn it they can't go oh my god if you have multiple gods what do they say if they don't have a god what yeah. do they say
0: um yep yeah yeah I was I was fiddling around with my, like, quasi nano quasi back burner project and i had hit a point where someone says oh damn it to hell kind of a sentiment but they don't have hell so i'm like well hold on all right um let's rethink what you would say in this circumstance i find that scatological um curses tend to work well across cultures so i fall back on just have everybody say ah fuck (laughs) i spend (laughs) so much
3: brain power on this particular topic all the time of like because I'll be writing and then just instinctively I'll have a character be like oh Jesus Christ that's the way I'm like no yes. that's not what they'd say delete
2: and they definitely like they might have hell right. because there's lots and lots of religions right. that have a concept of hell but they definitely don't have a Jesus Christ
3: but so then I've worked I'm not going to go full in my book, but I've worked out all the different ways of which I can have those sorts of things be expressed depending on who's saying it and, and in what context and all that. Cause
2: yeah. That's a, that's a fun thing. Um, <laughs> another way that religion kind of gets really pervasive into the culture is in calendar systems Ooh, yeah. because like uh, it's 2019 when we're recording this. And uh, what, does 2019 what does that mean? mean? Well, it's, it's apparently 2019 years since the uh, birth of Jesus Christ, uh, <laughs> except not quite apparently.
3: Again, right, That same what's... background radiation of Christianity throughout
2: our lives. But also, it is Thursday when we're recording this. It is Thursday, <laughs> yes. and definitely like like that's a a part of a religion that hasn't been actively around for like a thousand years ish, and. But we still call it Thor's Day. So I don't know what
0: point I was making there. Well, but those things, you know, is if you're creating a fantasy world, is religion static or is it changing? Do you mm-hmm. have some religions getting supplanted by others or do you have religion the same one, but it just kind of keeps evolving and changing? Or I feel like usually when you encounter religion, um, probably because it has to be so brief, but there is that sense of like, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, this is what it is, done. And I think that our experience tells us obviously we have Thor's Day in twenty nineteen, the year of our Lord, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we've got a lot going on here that that's from a really complicated history. Yep.
2: Because it's messy. It's just messy. More messy world building, I think is like, like, uh, Tasha has said this a couple times. And I have said this already a couple times on this, this podcast, but like more messiness in world building. Yes, good. Yes, this is what we do to ourselves yes <laughs> this is where the masochism part right. comes.
3: because we embrace and dive into the messiness and just be like let's, let's make it messier how, mm, <laughs> how can yes. I make this messier but yet do it in a way that when I actually write the book people aren't going what, yeah, what the hell is he doing also, like, <laughs> right. right, it yeah.
1: has occurred to me that I cool. just don't name days in my book I just com- <laughs> in my book um, I just completely avoid months <laughs> or days I just
2: didn't want to have to deal I, with it, like. I also do that i also avoid it as much as possible i have named days in one of the books and it's the most recent book that i wrote uh, in that book <laughs> um but months name just naming months is fucking terrible it is one of my least favorite parts because none of it sounds like a real word
3: i did all I'm... the month and day naming and i can like I can. Of course, you did. And I can like show you the work of like back to the original empire of like why where these names all come from. But like I'm not gonna do that in the book because that's boring.
2: It's boring. Yes.
3: But yes, I did the work because I'm that freaking stupid.
2: Bless your heart.
0: (laughs) Another,
1: which is also a religious kind of thing to say. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, See, if I said, oh, bless you here, nobody would think, I mean, if I said it in a sarcastic way, yes, they would think I was sort of, like, stabbing them in the the face. But when you say it in an American voice, I know what that means.
2: (laughs) But if you say it's Southern? Yeah. Okay, it depends, right? Because, like, there's, like, sincerely, oh, bless you, which is kind of what I was doing to Marshall Wright and Roresco just now. But then, yes, there is, like, the specifically southern one in that one it's really more about a third party like when you say oh bless his heart right that's saying well fuck that guy
3: <laughs> but in a polite way but but,
2: <laughs> but like when you're doing it directly to a person it's often in my experience not as like sarcastic and catty oh. as when you're saying it about a third right
1: party. so i thought you were being really catty and you weren't at all that's that's a, <laughs> no, a definite I was, cultural I sweet and Affectionate.
0: yeah <laughs> and then my my irish catholic nana was always the the northern version of bless his heart um she would do oh god love him which is the, yep. the, because no one else does is silent <laughs>
2: <laughs> there's also uh not a a secular version of this which is i'm sure he's a very nice boy <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah which is just brutal
0: Um anyway, back to world building. building. Um (laughs) so I kind of wanted to dive into if we can some like specifics on how do you write in um Expressions of faith and practices of faith, partially because I feel like Tasha has some really cool stuff from her book, and I want to like, make her talk about it. Um, yeah, Tasha.
2: Every time Tasha has opened her mouth, she's said something really smart. So let's just make her talk for a I, while. Go. Oh,
1: excellent. Um, I think you'll find every time I've opened my mouth, I've derailed the conversation. But um, no, I, it's been great, though. Excellent. <laughs> um, okay. I in... would say you
3: put it back on the rails. <laughs>
1: I, I wish people could see the way you're holding your mug as you say this. <laughs> it really adds emphasis. <laughs> so, expressions of faith and religion. Well, in my book, um, at least in the first,
2: you have to do it in a. You have to do it in a weirder voice. I. Like I, that.
1: Um, I wonder if I can do it in like a a, a 50s BBC presenter voice. In my book, give it a shot. Let's try yes, There you go. go. Uh, in my book, um, <laughs> at least an empire of sand, realm of ash just goes off the rails somewhat. Um faith is expressed um, partly in kind of a a typical now we're going to pray kind of way but um, the main character Meher um, is from a specific nomadic culture that express their faith and perform a kind of magic through dance and um, I wish I could say that I had invented that and I had been super original but much like many world builders I stole that wholesale with no guilt whatsoever so yeah In um, certain parts of India, um, there is, all parts of India, there are forms of dance, which are veneration of the gods and are forms of worship. Um, And at least a few of those forms of dance, in particular Bharatanatyam, use um, hand sigils or hand movements um, to express thoughts or feelings or emotion. And the way you stand also expresses emotion. And all of that is worship. So I took that and I made that a... Thing in my book. Um, so when characters, and particularly the main character, is worshipping, she does it through these different dances that have different significance. So there are dances for the harvest, and dances for births, and dances for the dawn, and for death. That I, I was told by some people to toot my horn a little bit that this was quite original. But to me, it isn't that original because it was just a aspect of worship that I don't think has been explored in fantasy as much. Whereas I think that mm-hmm. the The focus that I love on um, the magic of the word is is much more prevalent in fantasy. And that's because I think partly we love words because we write books and words are brilliant. Right. And I wouldn't change that. But also because a lot of Western faith systems, particularly Christianity, are word based um, and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and are based on a book or the book. And
2: therefore you have a greater emphasis on the magic of the word. That is a really great point. Um, and yeah, and I think that just like th- taking a minute to think about like, well, what are some of the different ways that faith or or worship or celebration of the gods could be expressed? Like, like, there are as many ways to do that as there are forms of art in the world. Like, if you didn't do it with dance, you could do it with fiber arts to go back to one of our, <laughs> our previous episodes, or you could do it through through painting or any kind of, of creation and putting something beautiful into the world. Um,
0: yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I find um, music really interesting. I, um, I, I totally lucked out. There was a performance like at a college near me, which never happens because I'm in Indiana of um, Hildegard von Bingen's um, Order Virtutum, which is this like, she was this 12th century nun and she's at the first Western um, non-anonymous composer that we like know the piece and the name and anyway mm-hmm. it's this um, p- vocal piece for um, 12 to 18 voices and it's all about like the like fight for the soul between the devil and the virtues but the coolest thing about it that I didn't know until I went to this performance which was absolutely lovely um, was that she had founded a community so like c- communally living with 18 women and she wrote the piece for 18 voices. So it was so cool, that it was this like, you know, celebrating, you know, God and virtue, but also so personal of, I wrote this for these 18 women who live in my convent.
2: Yeah, these like people who you know, these voices who you know, right? And it really is
0: voices who you know because the ranges are all different for every soloist. Like they're they're yeah. really unique. Um, and my favorite is "Innocence" is like one line, so I just imagine that it was like a young a younger woman or girl who didn't really have her voice developed yet. And they're like, "Well, we'll give you a line," you know. But um, but just thinking about the personal element of religion too, that even something as you know structured as a vocal piece in a convent was still so personal when it was created as well
1: Mm -hmm. I think there is something really beautiful about the personal exploration of faith I absolutely love things like there was a real tradition of Sufi poetry where people would write um, Islamic poetry about their personal relationship with God and it's quite fascinating i think to scholars of indian history that around a similar period you had the bhakti tradition come up which was a hindu tradition around the the intimate very intimate because the, the poems often got quite sexual um connection between god and often female worshipers and they would write poetry and they would write songs about that and um i i really enjoy it, to take it back to world building, when people find a way to look at the structures of faith, which are often quite um, external and about how you perform faith in in structures of buildings and clothing and behaviour, and the ways that there is something also very intimate underlying that. And I think the best depictions of religion, both show the ways that that kind of external religious belief and that internal faith coincide and the ways that they conflict.
2: Yes, because sometimes like how you feel personally is not the way that the community feels or the way that you feel towards your community is in conflict with how you feel to this or how you view your relationship to this system of values that you, you all share. like. To put a a more concrete example on it, like we have in Western society this strong emphasis on the family and like, quote unquote, family values. But if you're coming from a toxic family situation, how are you relating to that? And what sort of relationship do you have to both those values and to the culture that celebrates them so much? We've, we've talked a lot about some really, really good and, and positive things. I also want to uh, go back to something that uh, Tasha said at the beginning of the episode about religion used as a way of controlling people, um, because I think that that is a useful thing to think about in
0: world building as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's, you know, one big question you kind of have to ask is, is my religion standalone, or is it one of many within a world? And if it's one of many, how is it interacting with the other religions people have a choice between, and is there a power differential between those? Um, Because so often, historically, a religion has been tied to a ruling class or a governance system, Um, and I think that that adds a different element to, you know, if you have one religion, it's... Also, potentially the state religion. If you have multiple mm-hmm. religions, is one favored, or is it um, actually, and, and some even prescribed, and others are perhaps kind of subversive? I mean, you have a lot of play there.
1: In my book, <laughs> 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 um, you, I've, I've really simplified it down in comparison to the the range of faiths and practices actually practiced in India. Like, I, I really, really pared it down to. Um, the idea that the empire in Empire of Sand has one faith and it is a very strict faith that defines, um, that is essentially a cult of personality that defines everything about the way people act and behave. And then the alternate faith is, is an sort of animistic faith. It's the worship of these shadowy spirits um, who the Amrithi, the people who worship them, believe they are descended from. And those faiths are at odds with each other, and the Amriti faith is characterized by the ruling empire as barbaric and at odds with civilized behavior and civilized thought. And it it is a very massive oversimplification, not to do my book down, of of the ways that. Um, power structures can interact and the ways that you can have like a really powerful ideology and faith basically villainize another faith and the and then that creates this kind of conflict where you can look at the the smaller kind of attacked faith and consider you know how how does it feel to have a faith that is that you're told is wrong how do you hold on to that faith and how do you decide what that faith means even in the face of external pressure and equally um and this is something that comes up more in my second book in realm of ash how do you find truth and meaning in the the dominant faith if it's being used in a terrible way because i think Mm. that for many people in the world they hold their faith very deeply um but their faith is used by other people to oppress other people And that's quite a difficult thing to kind of deal with and come to terms with and handle. And um, yeah, basically, (laughs) it's a very messy, real issue with faith and power dynamics between faiths. And I think the nice thing about fantasy is in a way you can take all of that reality and kind of condense it or concentrate it down into something more manageable and kind of explore those dynamics in a way that also includes magic, which I think improves everything. yes Yes. for
2: sure for sure um yeah but you like i love what you said about um in in the second book like exploring how do we find meaning and and truth in a tool which has been used because religion is a tool right in a tool that has been used to subjugate and oppress so many people and enact so much harm and evil in the world and That is a really good and and useful question to be asking because as you say, that happens so much in, in the real world.
0: Well, And I think it's a good question to ask too, if you're writing fantasy and you have a widely practiced or um, widely accepted faith, um, I think so often it is just assume that it's benevolent, but why, why is it that someone has not co-opted or utilized or developed that faith into something that can be used as a tool of oppression
2: Mm -hmm. and this has happened all throughout history is people using um faith to control people in some way even back into ancient egypt when you have uh like this whole pantheon of gods and then abruptly there's one guy who says no actually we're going to be monotheistic now we're going to worship aten ra and um, that's the guy, and you can forget about all those other gods. And it was definitely a political move intended to condense his power base and give him an aspect of control over the people he was trying to, trying to rule. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a tool, and it is a tool that people have been using for thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, in
1: fantasy, we love to kind of take real world... Um military strategy and real world weaponry and you know just all the gross horrible things we can think of and i mean the nice stuff too but like a lot of the, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know my personal thing is i still haven't managed to get a tower of severed heads and severed heads into my book and i'm really determined to do that ah. at some point but you know like a <laughs> real world definite. fun thing yeah yeah like i mean this is my life goal but um yes. <laughs> but i think that there is a lot of real world stuff that we can take from the way that religion has been used and the intimate experiences of religion and kind of use them in fantasy in different interesting ways to build our worlds up.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We are getting towards the end of the episode and I want to make sure that we have plenty of time for what is always my favorite part (laughs) of having a guest star. Um, which is, uh, dear listeners, if you have been listening to uh, several of our guest episodes by now, you already know what I'm about to ask. Um, it is tradition at this point that we ask our guest star to contribute some small piece of, of world building in some way. So uh, Tasha, what have you got for us?
1: So, as you know, all my world building is drawn from reality and I have to give you a history lecture before I actually start. So perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So this is um, our jam. excellent <laughs> You can have me back
2: anytime Settling you want. in with my cup of tea <laughs> um, take it away in the one thing
1: that I didn't take from real moogle history that I kind of wish I had is um, a beauty tip and that beauty tip was to blacken your teeth so they thought oh, it yes. was super attractive if you blacked out your teeth so that when you smiled there was just like a black void as far as I can tell. <laughs> And if you've learned anything about me, this podcast, it's that I love the void. So, (laughs) so I, all I want to add is that somewhere in the world, there is um, a culture which really values women, not so much peacocking or dressing up, but resembling um, the deep, dark despair of the universe, preferably with some kind of black polish on their, you know, teeth.
0: That's the one. Incredible. You know, love it. from tell, now on, tell me. every time that I hear or have a man tell me to smile, that I should smile, I'm going <laughs> to fuck. imagine. Oh, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> My teeth are blacked out. I was just and about the to
2: dark ask. Void is staring back. At <laughs> Let's make that actually happen. That's the new that's the new fashion thing for 2020 is black in your teeth. Look, I'm sure Kylie jenner wants to branch out with her makeup
1: line. I mean, we should go talk oh, to her. Oh Lord.
2: I was Lord, just thinking, Lord, Lord. You,
3: you are not goth enough yet.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. So hold on. So going back to the the actual like world building culture. Do you have, like, like, what is it about, like, representing the despair of the universe? Like, what's the impulse there? What is the religious significance behind that?
1: Hmm. Well, I think the, it's kind of like, you know how people say the only way to come to terms with the, the inevitable reality that you're going to die is to think about death until you no longer are scared of it. Um, there's mm-hmm. even an app you can get for that. I don't have it, but there's an app that will remind you about five times a day that you're going to die. Um, holy fuck I, I know someone who has it she said it's very comforting I, I, I <laughs> but um, maybe, maybe that this would not is be my reaction <laughs> <laughs> nihilism in 2019 <laughs> um, so the, the world building impulse there is that the, the longer you look at the void perhaps because you were wearing it as makeup or you know your sweetheart is the void um, the less you fear it <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, uh, but you
3: could also you could you could like craft that around a religion in which, like, God is the destroyer, and is God yeah. destroying the world today? Maybe <laughs> we can. <you> know, <laughs> let's just. Ex-
2: it's cool. It's fine. <laughs> We're ready for it. The
3: ex- expectation that will the world be destroyed today? Could be.
2: (laughs) Could be, could be. Um, That's really interesting too, because most of the religions that have kind of like an apocalypse cult are like, oh no, oh no, oh no about it. And you could have this religion be like, hey, sexy destroyer God, (laughs) look at me. (laughs) With my my blackened teeth, the void. So what you think
1: about that? I do need to mention like, and again, I think I can just about get away with this because I am Hindu. Um, Mm. There is definitely on places like deviant art, like strange manga, like um, idealized art of the destroyer god from Hinduism, like people are well into him, they think he's really fit, which is kind of (laughs) odd on one level, but also it's a real thing, so feel free to go look that up!
2: Well, thank you, Tasha, so much for coming on this podcast. This has been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I think that she was absolutely the right person to to talk to about this. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Does anyone have any final thoughts or comments or anything before we call it a day?
3: Always such pressure to end this on such a... I know. (laughs) As with all things religion, it remains uh, an open mystery that we we will pontificate. As we, move on.
2: we could have gone on for three more hours we if I could've. hadn't stopped everyone from having phil- interesting philosophical conversations. All right, enjoy the end of the world, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Huge, huge thank yous to Tasha Surrey for joining us. If you were as charmed and delighted with her as we were, please go buy her books, Empire of Sand and Realm of Ash, both available now and follow her on Twitter as at Tasha Tea. Our next episode goes up on December 25th A Christmas present for you, dear listeners. And to get into the holiday spirit, we're jumping into another deep, hands-on, practical sort of world-building episode, where we're going to be making up some holidays and festivals. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or you just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We are on Twitter and Tumblr as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. Here's your cool fact of the day. Immediately after we ended the recording, Tasha started telling us about a weird Hindu story, her words, not mine, about a baby god that breastfed a demon to death. I totally thought that she meant the demon was breastfeeding from the baby, and I went wow, that's fucked up! But apparently no, the baby was just sucking the life force out of the demon. I literally don't know anything else about this story, so let's all go ask Tasha to tell us more about this on Twitter.